Well, I was going to say good morning, but this is a great morning. It is good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, for those of you who are new, oh. for those of you, okay, that's enough of that. For those of you who are new, and you didn't, you're wondering who this guy is, my name is Todd. And I'm the teaching pastor here at Melanie Park Church. You haven't seen me this summer because I've been on sabbatical. And man, what a blessing it has been for my family and I. And truly, one of the blessings for me was the privilege to hear men from within this church stand behind this pulpit and so faithfully handle God's word. Um, Yes, that deserves some applause. Especially my friend and mentor, Roger Wisdom. Continues to be such a blessing to me and to this church family. And for that, I'm so, so grateful. Um, But really, we've had men throughout this body. In fact, if you are here this morning and you stood in to preach for me in my absence, would you please stand? Yes. I'm so, so grateful for each of you and what a blessing it it has been just to sit under your teaching, Um, really rich. This mic seems really hot. Is it hot? Loud? Spirit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as we get started, I do want to briefly share some of the highlights of my sabbatical. I'll just tell you a disclaimer right up front. There's no possible way that I could dive into all the details of how good and rich it was, but, but I do want you to know some of the ways that uh, God really ministered to, to me and, and to my family, for that matter. Uh, starting with the blessing of being able to separate who I am from what I do on Sunday morning. In fact, I think that really is the richest blessing of a sabbatical for anyone at any time. It's just important and good to step away and witness the ministry taking place and flourishing without you, (laughs) as it should, because this ministry has never been and never will be dependent on any one person, whether it's me or any of the ministry leaders in this church family. Any kingdom impact we make is because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ that is at work in every single one of us. See, every good thing and every perfect gift is ultimately from him. He's before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So all the things that we see that stir our hearts and affections towards him are ultimately from him. And that's why this church flourishes. I mean, okay, I got to do this. Where's Brian? Brian, I think I saw you back there. I, I have a recommendation. I know you have some great members of your worship team but there are a choir of angels, these three sweet little girls that sat behind me. I mean, they were singing out gospel truths and I was weeping in front of them. It was beautiful. So when you ever have some time, you might enlist their help because they are amazing. But it was good. It was good to step away, to see God's hand at work. And not only in the 
church here at Melanie Park, but in other churches as well, because the, the fact is, this is really the only church I've known for the past 37 years. I mean, that's a long time, right? So one of the blessings of my sabbatical was to go and sit under the teaching of other pastors at other churches. In particular, these were men I regularly pray with. So Dusty Thompson, just down the street at Redeemer. Uh, Stephen Storm, who's the pastor at Victory Life. C.W. Faulkner, who's out at First Baptist Wolferth. Uh, a new pastor friend that I made this summer, named, his name is Levant Samuels, and he's the pastor at the Tabernacle of Truth in Slayton, Texas. And I was able to go to each of these churches and just be so blessed by their teaching and the ministry of their church families. And I need to tell you that there was never a point in time, and, and I'm sincere when I say this, there was never a point in time that I looked around and saw what other churches were doing and thought, hmm, I wish we were doing that. Oh, we should do that too. There was no comparison. And the reason is, is I am so content, genuinely content with the work that God is doing right here among us that I could go into those places and genuinely celebrate and appreciate the beautiful work that God is doing among them. And you need to know, church family, that God is doing some amazing things all throughout this community. And for that, we should all be grateful. It is a beautiful thing. And it was a blessing to experience it. One of the other blessings was to have some time with my family. Um, this is really a season of a transition. There's several places throughout my sabbatical that I thought, Lord, this is a setup. You, you knew this all along. I mean, just the timing of the sabbatical. Because as you know, Graham, our oldest son, moved to Fort Worth in the spring uh, he's been transitioning. In fact, he was here last weekend to uh, sell the house that he had here in Lubbock and we moved all his stuff into my garage. And this weekend he came back and we moved everything out of my garage into a trailer so that he can move into a home there in Fort Worth. Then next weekend, we do the exact same thing with our youngest son, Grant, who's gonna move to Graham, Texas. I know it's confusing. Youngest son, Grant, okay, get this clear. Youngest son, Grant, moving to Graham. Oldest son, Graham, moving to Fort Worth, and Terry and I are going to be empty nesters, and we are excited. <laughs> it's going to be good. But it was great timing just to have some extended uh, time with family. We're grateful. Probably the biggest blessing of all was the privilege to have long conversations with Jesus. whether that was just a, a long hike in the wilderness by myself or a week that I spent in silence and solitude at a monastery in the desert. <laughs> That's a whole other story for another time. But it was rich and it was meaningful. I was able to walk and talk and, and just listen in quiet space to the Lord speak to my heart. And that was the richest blessing of all. But I need you to know this morning, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to jump into life and ministry with you again, but before we do, let me just say, and hear me clearly, thank you. Thank you for the blessing of being able to have such intentional and meaningful time with the Lord. I hope we see the fruit of that in the life and ministry of this church for years and years. 
Father, what a blessing to be here this morning. Truly the blessing to hear those sweet voices behind me. Truly a blessing just to hear this church sing such sincere words of your gospel truth. This is the song of a rescued people. These are people who are redeemed, who are rejoicing in the work that you have done, that you are doing, and that we have absolute certainty that you will continue to do. And so, Lord, as we come together and open up your word this morning, would you speak by the truth of your word according to the power of your spirit into the hearts of your people for the praise and glory of your name? Lord, hear our prayer as we come before you together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let me be honest with you and tell you up front that one of the long conversations I had with the Lord had to do with our study in the Song of Songs. Uh, let's just say that I spent a lot of time trying to convince him that I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, every time, this is true, every time I thought of the Song of Solomon, my heart sank and I got really visibly anxious and nervous about it. And, and part of that is because it's poetry. And I'm not good at poetry. God gave me a very literal mind. And poetry is figurative, right? It's, it's beautiful, it's artistic, and well, I'm not. So I, I wasn't convinced that I could understand what the author was actually trying to say. But even if I did, how would I communicate such explicit language of love? How do I help us see the the beauty of the covenant love of marriage? And how do we see beyond that? To to see the, the deep and abiding love of God from which that covenant love of marriage was ultimately born. It was a struggle for me. In fact, I want to share with you, just in case you think I'm making this up for the purpose of my sermon, This is my journal. This is July 3rd, and this is my entry. I talked to the Lord this morning about the Song of Solomon series that I continue to be intimidated by. God reminded me that all his word is sacred, including the sacred romance of the song. This series will not only be important for our church, but it will be redemptive for me. It will restore what the locusts have eaten. It will renew what the world has broken. So Lord, I still feel intimidated and insecure. I doubt me more than I doubt you, but I want to be faithful more than I want to be comfortable. So please work in me. As I give myself to you. And really, I would just ask that we would all kind of share in that that same prayer, that same heart as we enter into God's word, because it is filled with God's goodness, and I believe that's true. So if you would, turn to Song of Songs. We're going to do it, all right? (laughs) Song of Songs. Right there in the middle of your Bible, Song of Psalms, Song of Songs. And as you turn there, I want to kind of give you a quick uh, overview. As you can see there in verse 1. It says, this is a song of songs, which is Solomon's. So statement of the obvious here, but really important. We see from the very beginning that this is a song, okay? It's not a letter written to a church like we see throughout the New Testament. It's not a prophecy or an apocalyptic revelation. It's a song. 
And like any song, it's written to elicit an emotional response. It's a song about love in the context of the covenant relationship of marriage. We also see that it's a song attributed to Solomon, either written by him or about him, which is interesting when you stop and think about it because he's not exactly the poster child of a healthy marriage, is he? I mean, the scripture tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is absolutely ridiculously foolish, okay? So what in the world does this man have to say about marriage? Well, I believe that this is a song not written based on Solomon's obedience. It's written from the wisdom gained from his failure. In other words, this is not about what has been This is a song about what should be. It's an imagined ideal of an uncorrupted intimacy between a husband and a wife. A love so pure that it reflects the intimate love that God has for us, which when you look at scripture is not a stretch. That connection is frequently made. In fact, Isaiah chapter 54 Verse five says, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all earth. See, God has entered into a covenant relationship with his people, which is why sin in scripture is often identified as spiritual adultery. It's a willful decision to be unfaithful to our covenant commitment to God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul points back to Genesis, and he says, and and he's referring to God's original design for marriage, and this is what he says. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So we have to be careful not to create a conflict between human love and divine love, between spirituality and sexuality, wrongly assuming that one is inherently corrupt and the other is inherently holy. Because in God's original design, the covenant love of marriage was born out of the Trinitarian love of God. So we simply cannot understand one without the other. In fact, we need to begin with God's love for us. If we are to ever grasp what the intention is by his design for our love for one another. So if you were to ask me the question, is the Song of Solomon about human love or divine love? My answer is yes, it's both. Because you cannot understand one without the other. So with that in mind, let's begin by reading in verse one again. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. I want to pause there. 
How many of y'all remember, I, I guess he's still doing shows, but there was a, a Cajun chef named Emeril Lagasse. Y'all remember Emeril Lagasse? Remember what he would do whenever he put spices in one of his dishes? Bam! That's what I think just happened, right? I mean, right off the bat, we kind of hit the ground running. There's no buildup. There's no slow romance. There's no growing affection. The girl steps in and says, I want him to kiss, him. I want him to kiss me right on the mouth. I mean, girls, can y'all believe that's in the Bible? <laughs> this is crazy. But we need to remember this is a song. And songs don't just give you information, right? They are intended to elicit an emotional response. And tell me if I'm wrong, but the songs that we often enjoy most are the ones that are most raw and revealing. In fact, I think that's why we love to read the book of Psalms. It's a song. Those are songs written to, to reveal raw emotion that we relate to. That's why we love them. And I think the same is true for the Song of Songs. As the girl describes her affection within the context of her marriage. You see, she has such security in that covenant relationship that she is unashamed and unguarded. And as we'll see, anything that she feels for him, he feels for her. These are raw emotions that, that come out of the depth of her being. In fact, did you notice how she intentionally describes it with all of her senses? She says she wants to feel the touch of his kiss because his love tastes better than wine. His cologne has a pleasing fragrance. Even the sound of his name is pleasant. So this is not some distant admiration. This is a, a deeply felt affection. It's a love that invades every part of her being. She's satisfied by this love, as if she's savoring a fine wine. How many of y'all have ever watched a true wine connoisseur drink wine? Okay, they pour just a little bit in a glass. It's a special glass from what I understand. I'm not one, but I've seen them, right? They, they swirl it around to release the aroma. They smell before they taste, but when they taste, they just let it linger. They wash it around in their mouth and they're trying to soak up and, and, and sense all the subtle notes of that wine that has been produced. It's not a gulp and go, okay? It's a soak and savor. And the same is true of their love. It's a desire to linger and appreciate she says even the scent of his cologne is a smell that, that's unique to him, that, that stirs her memory of him. I know when Terry goes out of town, this is a true story, I'll reach over and grab her pillow and take a big old whiff, <laughs> right? Because the smell of her perfume just stirs my affection for the one that I love. And, and when that happens, it warms my heart. It, it brings comfort to my soul. It's real, and I think that's what we see with this woman in the story, in the song. Her fragrance, the fragrance of her husband makes her feel safe and secure. It puts her mind at ease. 
Even the sound of his name is pleasant to her. And that's not because of what the name sounds like. It's because of what the name represents. His name is a reflection of his character. He's a man of integrity who treats her with both love and respect. In fact, the passage says that even the maidens, the unmarried women, love him. And not because they want him for themselves. They know he's taken Instead, they admire the way that he treats his wife. And what they're saying is, is I want a love that looks like that. Look at how it continues in verse four. Draw me after you. Let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Here we move from kind of parading in public to now enjoying their love in private. I picture that he lifts her into his arms, carries her across the threshold. They enter the king's chamber and the door slowly and softly closes behind them. It's the place where she is fully known and fully loved. They run together in mutual love and affection. If we look, we, we see that the poetry of the song has done its work, hasn't it? It's drawn us in close. Even the pronouns have changed. If you picked up on it, it started with him. It went to your, and then it changed to you. They're face to face in the loving embrace of intimacy. And their love is even celebrated by others. It says, we will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. It's a love so pure that it has earned the admiration of others. They look and say, that's what love is supposed to be. That's what it looks like. Because it displays all the goodness built within the beauty of God's design for the covenant relationship of marriage. And here's a great thing. We have lots of examples of that kind of love right here in this church family. I mean, it, it, it's a, a beautiful thing to see such long, enduring love throughout. In fact, if you've been married for over 30 years, raise your hand. Y'all look around. That's a lot of people. Absolutely. You see, we should rejoice in that blessing to this church body because like we see in this song, we can look around us and say, that's what it's supposed to look like. These aren't perfect marriages. Look, we all struggle. We all deal with issues. We're all selfish so often. Oh, mic drop. <laughs> wow, literally, that was a mic drop. Okay. I hear you, Lord. <laughs> but it is a blessing throughout this church to have examples of men and women who have such long enduring love in a world where we see fractured marriages left and right. And this song is celebrating the beauty of what God intended in the marriage relationship that He created. That's what I want us to see in the song the picture of love in accordance with God's design. And if you were to ask me to kind of sum up 
what this passage has to say in just one word, the word I would choose is desire. Desire. It's a deep and mutual affection between a wife and her husband, a love that's pure and therefore it's unashamed, unguarded, it's sincere. It's a covenant love that is filled with holy desire. Now, I realize that we don't normally put those two words together, holy and desire. Because we often see holiness is sacred and desire as corrupt. But that's not the way God intended it to be. It's just what sin has caused it to be, right? That's why we take a good desire for food and turn it into gluttony. We took a, take a good and godly desire for intimacy and we turn it into lust. God gave us good and holy desires, but sin makes them dark and destructive. And so I'm praying that we, even now, this morning, allow the song in sacred scripture to redeem this idea of holy desire. And, and let's begin with God's holy desire for us, because here's reality. God did not cre create us because he needed us. He created us because he wanted us to find life in his loving affection. Our very existence is the outcome of God's holy desire. Like the woman in the song, he's inviting us into his presence. He wants to, us to, to, to be known and loved by him. Mark, Roger mentioned it last week, this idea that the, the Bible is filled with the invitation to come. Jesus says over and over again, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you life. Come to me and I will give you love. His heart longs to share his love with you. Not because of anything he needs from you, but because of everything he wants to give to you. We are being pursued by God's holy affection. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, which tells us the very heart of the mission of Jesus Christ was to put on display the infinite love of God like we just sang about laying down his life for the forgiveness of our sins and inviting us into this intimate relationship of love that brings eternal life. That's the whole purpose and mission of the gospel. Just like we see in the song, God's holy desire is secure. Where, when we, we enter into that relationship with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, we are fully known Nothing hidden, and yet fully and infinitely loved. His unconditional acceptance eternally removes all guilt and shame. We find comfort in his loving acceptance. 
His holy desire is secure, but it's also sacred. It's a love that's free from selfish motives. I say this all the time at weddings I officiate. Covenant love is not a contract. There are no ifs in the wedding vows. In fact, the whole purpose of the vows is to eliminate all possible conditions. That's why we say, I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, when things get really hard and when things are moving right along. Covenant love is sacred because it's not a contract filled with conditions. That's what makes it enduring. That's why Jeremiah 31 says, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting ever-enduring, infinite love. It's safe. It's sacred. And then finally, it's, it's shared. A holy desire is never one way. It's always a mutual affection. 1 John 1, 9 says, we love because he first loved us. Another way of saying this, I want you to think about this. God always says, I love you first. Always, always have, always will. Any, any, any words of love and affirmation towards God are always a response of his love and affection towards us. And so here's what I want us to do as we begin this series together. And I, and I would ask that you sincerely commit to this through the week, okay? I want you to pray for a holy desire. Collectively, as a church, this week, I would ask that you pray for a holy desire. Because I know some of you are listening to me this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what he's talking about. It just doesn't register this idea that God has a holy desire for us. And I think if we're honest, many times that's because we don't have a strong desire for him. You may know you're supposed to, but if you're honest, you really don't. Well, let me urge you to begin praying for that desire. Ask the Lord for a heart that longs to be in his presence, that's, that's willing to linger without being in a hurry to leave. Ask the Lord courageously, based on his promises in his word, ask him to allow you to experience his love for you, a deep and an abiding experience of that love. And know this, no matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter how much you grow and deepen your love for God, it will never compare to the infinite love and desire that he has for you. So pray for that desire. If you're married, pray for that desire within your marriage as well, especially for the marriages that have just grown cold, where you kind of coexist with each other. Because you just need to know that that's not the way God designed it to be, that there is so much more that is available for you. There is unlimited, infinite goodness built within the beauty of God's design. And here's the other thing. There is nothing beyond the boundaries of his ability to redeem when the marriage is broken. 
So believe that and pray for that desire. Don't, don't pray it for your spouse, men. <laughs> pray it for yourself. Let it begin with you. And if you're not married, these qualities that we're talking about, because ultimately they come from God and they invade every relationship, including marriage, but beyond that, these are things that we all want in relationships with one another. Safe conversations filled with mutual affection, unconditional love. We want to be fully known and fully loved by others. In fact, that's who we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. And so let's begin together as we walk through this series to pray for this holy desire as a church. Will you do that? Let me pray this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your word. And you're right. <laughs> it's all sacred. It's all filled with deep, rich, meaningful truth. And boy, do we need to hear how much you love us. There are so many questions and doubts and fears and concerns that we have that we're, in fact, I'm not so sure that it isn't the number one issue that inhibits our relationship with you is we, we question whether you really truly love us. We, we see our own sin, we see our struggles, and we think because we're disappointing in others when that happens, because we're not sure we want to enter into it. We, we hear about your love, but we keep a distance from it because we're not sure we want to enter into it. And so, Lord, I would just an invitation to come. Come. Find rest. Find acceptance. Find life. Find love as you intended it to be. Would you nourish our souls deeply with your sacred desire to enter into that love relationship with us? We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. You've heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it again. I love you. I love this church. It's family. And I'm deeply grateful just to live in life and ministry with you. And I do pray, and I have through the sabbatical, prayed for you as I prayed for my own heart that, that I would grow in this desire and deep affection and experience of God's love for us. And I believe God's answered that prayer for me in some beautiful ways. But here's something that the Lord impressed upon me that, that I can't shake. It just, every time I think about it, it stirs my heart. And it is this. It's the Lord being able to communicate to us that no matter how much we grow in our desire for him, it is always infinitely smaller than his desire and love for us. That, to me, blows my mind. And so I would just encourage us this week that we would just pray for the desire and the experience of God's love in our daily life. And when that happens, here's what's going to occur. It's a, it's a promise because this is what we see in Scripture. That love can't stay in you. That love is so rich and abounding, it will leak out from you into the lives of people around you in some beautifully wonderful ways. So invite him to show you the deep and abiding experience of his love. Will you do that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this sweet family. Thank you so much for the privilege of being back together and for just the, the gift that they gave me this summer to step away. 
Father, we pray together that we would grow in that holy desire to richly experience in meaningful ways the love that you have for us, that we would see it in your son, that we would see it in your creation, that we would see it in our fellowship, that everywhere we turn, we see the evidence of your love. And it would so fill our hearts that it would overflow into our marriages, into our families, into our relationships with one another, Lord. That's our prayer. And we trust that we are praying according to your heart and your will. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.